Greetings, Timajulam. Karibuni sana tena to the eighth and final edition of the Daniel series. What am I putting there? Yes. This is the final episode of this incredible series that has been so inspiring for me. I've told you guys so many times before that oftentimes whenever we begin a series that God is not just ministering to you, he ministers to me as well. God's word is like a double-edged sword. So it's just so exciting. This series has been so exciting and I'm so excited about the message today because of just how it has had such an incredible impact for me and is continue to have an impact towards me right now even as i preach on this message like it's such a sobering message um you know that i want to share with you guys as i close this series um one that you i think will need to just kind of marinate on for a bit and i really hope that the holy spirit will be able to illuminate this in your heart um you know i feel like i myself i'm still processing this message fully but let's get right into it now the thing is this, the latter part of the Daniel uh, book from chapter 7 onwards, right? So after the Daniels then, from chapter 7 onwards, what we have is um, this kind of chapter 7 to 12 is eschatological, right? Big, big theological words. And the thing about eschatology is really about the study of the end times. And, and it's really, that's just what this is about. So from Daniel 7 to 12, um, the chapter 7 to 12, it really is about Daniel receiving visions about the end time, right? Um, now, the thing is, is that this part of, of the book of Daniel is very similar to the book of Revelations, right? Where the apostle John also himself receives visions of the end times, right? This is what we call eschatology, which is the study, the theological study of what is written in terms of the end times, right? Now, the thing that is incredibly similar about this both both these books, right? Both the book of Daniel and the book of Revelations, and especially Daniel from 7 to 12 and the book of Revelations, is that on both occasions, these visions were given at a time of great persecution of the people of God, right? In the case of Daniel, this is, we've discussed this in the first uh, episode where this was a very pivotal time in Israel's history, the Babylonian exile. This was a time of great despair, for Israel. Unlike what had been seen uh, prior before, even from the time of the establishment of, of when they went and Joshua took over the land, ever since that moment, this, has been, this was a great and pivotal moment in, in Israel's history, the Babylonian exile. And in the case of the book of Revelations, it was during a time of great persecution of the early church by the Roman Empire, right? Now, the thing that uh, we see here in both cases is that this persecutions to the naked eye would really appear to be tremendous defeats. I mean, when you think about how, how we talked about this with the, with the Babylonian exile, how, what, it, what, you know, you can imagine that here is Jeremiah telling the people that, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper, plans to give you a hope and a future. And people are looking at this and being like, how is us going into Babylonian exile good for us? This is defeat. This is, without a doubt, a tremendous defeat. And it's the same thing in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the book of Revelations that how is it that the persecution that the early church was going through is, could be considered to be in any way other than just tremendous defeat? How could it be perceived in any other way? In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, it says from verse 1 to 3 that in the first year of Darius son of Xerxes, 
who was made ruler of a Babylonian over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign I Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. The thing is that Daniel reacted to the news that these guys are going to be in, in, in exile for 70 years. And, and his reaction was, this is, this is terrible. This is terrible news, right? And the thing is, he goes to God to beseech him. Because we see with his natural mind and his natural eyes, he's like, this is a travesty. And he's just like, Lord, he goes and he beseeches God, please, is there a way that we don't have to do this? Right? Have mercy on us. 70 years, that cannot be good. That is not good for us. That is not good for the people. That is not good for the city. Right? And if you think about it in the book of Revelation, is that what had happened and in the book of Revelation, it's, it's so grisly because there was an evil Roman em, uh, emperor called Nero. Yeah? And what Nero did is that he led a ruthless campaign to persecute Christians in Rome. What happened is that after the fire in Rome that happened in 64 AD, what, 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 what the emperor did, Nero, is that in a bid to be able to escape blame, he decided to pin this huge disaster that had happened in Rome on Christianity, and specifically on Christians. That's who he decided that he was going to blame for this fire, right? And so what happened is that what it did is that it led to now Christianity being legally labeled an illegal sect. And consequently, what happened is that there was a fierce persecution, fierce persecution that was begun on Christians. It was so bad that he had people burnt. Some were literally mauled by dogs. They were mauled by dogs and wild creatures. This is what they did. They, they made them to be mauled by dogs. And others, he had them crucified. And what they were saying that what they would do is that they would crucify these Christians. And then what they would do is that in the, in the night time, is that they would light their bodies uh, on fire to provide light to the city. So almost in a sense that they, they, they used to be now, they used to use these Christians as, as human torches. I mean, it was during this time of Nero that both Peter and Paul were martyred. I mean, think about that. These were two people that were pivotal anchors and, and, and people who, who were such, um, you know, guys who are, you know, basically the, the leaders of the church, right? If you think of Peter and Paul, right? These very influential church leaders. And what he does is that Peter is crucified upside down and Paul is beheaded. And the reason why Paul was beheaded is because he was a Roman citizen. That's the only reason that he wasn't crucified. He didn't suffer the shameful death. Him, he, he was worthy of, of a more dignified death, which was basically beheading. Right? So this was a dark, dark time. How could anyone imagine this to be anything but defeat for the Christian faith? How could God be sovereign over all of this? How could this be possible? And this is what was happening. If you think about the context of the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, this is what was happening. That there were things that were happening in this earthly realm that were literally, when you look at them, you would look at and deem as defeat. The thing is this. 
All this is eerily similar to what happened to Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, many of his disciples and admirers believed that he had experienced his final defeat. Some even believed that all his teachings and his miracles were for nothing because of his death. I mean, how is it that the Messiah could die? This is the guy who was supposed to come and free the people from the Roman Empire. And not only was he murdered, brutally murdered, the fact that he was murdered, and not just murdered, but murdered by crucifixion, which is the worst form of death, death on a cross. How is it that this could be positive in any way? And so for his disciples and for those who admired Jesus, for them, this was a defeat. This was something that was completely devastating. After his death, these, his own disciples were disillusioned. It was the last three years for nothing. They had hoped that this Jesus who was the Messiah was coming to re redeem them from the Roman Empire. But instead of coming to establish his eternal kingdom, here he was dead. Some even decided, like if you look at John uh, 21, where Peter and John decide to go back to fishing. Because they're like, brah, like, I think this the, 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 is a wrap and we don't know what's next. We don't know what the heck is supposed to happen next, right? What his disciples did not understand at the time until the third day was that Jesus' death wasn't actually the end of the story. In fact, his resurrection proved that his death was actually his victory. His resurrection allowed his disciples to understand Jesus' ministry, right? That suffering and death that, the, that Jesus experienced, that his suffering and death, they got to see it from a completely new perspective about what the suffering and death was really all about on that third day. And so, in this book of Daniel and in Revelations, the people needed a new perspective. The eschatology was so that it would provide a new perspective to those that were undergoing intense persecution. And so, what we realize is that the goal of these end-time revelations was for the people to know that no matter what we see here in this earthly realm, the only way that this story ends, the only way that the story of the believer ends, the only way that this whole narrative ends is God wins. And not only does God win, but that those who have put their faith in him are in the winning team. Their outcome, ultimately, is victory. So, you know, I love to watch the NBA. I mentioned this before. I love watching the NBA. I love to watch basketball. And um, what happens most times is that because of we are here on this side, we are eight hours behind from America, is that a lot of times the games come very early in the morning, so I never get to watch the games, right? I never actually get to watch the games live, most of the games, unless it's the playoffs, where I have to wake up super early to watch the games. But generally, I never get to watch the games live. So what happens is, is that oftentimes, usually when I watch the game, it's usually after the fact. It's usually after the game has already been played. So usually when I'm watching, already, I already know what the score is. Right? So most times whenever I'm watching this thing, I'm already, I already know this is the team that won. But then now when I'm watching, the thing is that I want to see how the team won. Right? But I know who wins. Right? So my whole thing is, how did these guys win and how did that guy lose? That's what I'm watching. Right? Um, and the thing is, is that this is very different from watching a game live. Like it's a completely... It, 
I want to say it's a completely different experience, but it's a very, it's actually a very different experience. Because when you're watching a game live, right, this amount of suspense, it's a completely different perspective because the kind of suspense that you have, you're just like, now include the suspense. Now there's, when you're watching it the other way, there's no suspense. You know who won. This one, there's so much suspense. You're just like, man, who's going to win? How is this going to turn out? What these end time revelations were about was to help the people understand and to be able to understand and look at their situation from a perspective of same way that it is like when I'm watching those NBA games, you know who wins. Right now you're just going to see how the thing plays out, but you know who wins. God wins. God is the one who wins. There's no suspense about this. This is the thing that God is wanting all who have put their faith in him that you need to understand that when you're looking at this game of life, what you're, what you're watching right here, you already know who wins. Now you're just watching the details of, the, of, of how the, the winning happens, right? And how the other guy is defeated. But that is the same thing that's happening here. That there's no suspense about this. That God's promise of eternal life was assured. And the fact that this eternal life is because Jesus is the one who has the victory. God wins. That what these people were witnessing in Daniel and in uh, the book of Revelations, that whatever it is that they were witnessing and going through, though devastating, was not defeat. That in the same way that Jesus' death was not the end of his story, that just like our Lord and Savior, their story and our story does not end with defeat, but a resounding victory over the ultimate enemy, which is death. In Daniel 12 and 2 to 3, it says of those who trust in God that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. In Revelations 21 in verse 1 to 5, it says, of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the outcome for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. This world isn't the end. Death isn't the end. It is a transition to a new state of being, one of eternal bliss in the presence of God. God wins. We win. God wins. We win. Now, the thing is, is that why is this important? Why is this crucial to understand as a believer in Jesus Christ? And especially if you consider 
how it was in the time of Daniel, in the time of the book of Revelations, where there was great tribulation that was happening. Why is it important for us to understand what this is all about? You know, I've said this many times before, that my dad once told me that I need to live with eternity in mind. The thing is that that thing, those words have always stuck with me for so long. And it's almost in a sense like those words continue to unravel for me as I go along, as I get older. It's like every time I, I, I hear, I remember those words, it's like they continue to unravel. And God continues to remind me of the thing that my dad had told me. And why I believe this mindset is incredibly important for every single believer to have and inscribe in their hearts is because oftentimes, we are led to believe that what this world has to offer is the epitome of it all. There are few believers who truly live with eternity in mind. Why? Because we are primarily drawn to the God who wants to give you that new house, that new car, that awesome job. Our minds are conditioned to love this world and the things of this world. This is a conditioning. And we've talked about this so much over the course of this series. But most importantly... When we face great challenges in this world as a believer in Jesus Christ, like, for example, this past year and a half, what this past year and a half has been, we can easily get caught up in the despair of it all and wonder, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? When Daniel found out that the Israelites would be in exile for 70 years, he pleaded with God, like I mentioned, and that, that he would stop this from happening. But then God sent him an angel to tell him that this period had already been set for a purpose. Where it says from verse 20 to 25, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the holy place. The thing that the angel came to help Daniel understand is that this was an appointed time. In the book of Revelation, it speaks of an appointed time of great tribulation for God's people towards the end of time. In times past, there was an appointed time where God's people at the time had to endure World War I. There was an appointed time where God's people at that time had to endure World War II. There was an appointed time where we in this generation would endure a global pandemic in the year 2020. All these times are set on this side of eternity by our sovereign God who sits on the throne. And the thing is this, if we do not have eternity etched in our hearts, then we would be tempted at any appointed time we find ourselves in to be caught up in despair like those in Daniel's time and those in the early church, where what we see in this world looks like defeat. Or we can get caught up in the despair of our own lives, clinching our fists to God, wondering why he isn't giving us our dream lives. 
Or we can be so caught up in the pleasures of this world that we begin to imagine that this world and its pleasures are the epitome of it all. Every single thing in this world pales in comparison to what God has in store for us beyond this world. Every single thing. None of it compares to what God has in store for us. This is the thing that Jesus came to give to us, eternal life. And everything pales in comparison to what God has prepared for us. This is why Jesus says to us in Luke 14 and 26, that if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Why is this? Because the place Jesus is leading us is not where we are, but where he is. Jesus' call to his disciples is to follow me. Disciples follow their teacher. And the thing is this, to love anything in this world is not following after Jesus who is not of this world. You know, the thing that's so interesting is the other day, I found this fascinating scripture in Luke 20 and from verse 27 to 39 where it, the Sadducees, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, yeah, the Sadducee, anyway, they come to Jesus and ask him about marriage. And they are like, there's a woman, they start giving this, this, this whole kind of like example, analogy. They're like, there's a woman who's married to this brother, the brother dies, so she marries the other brother, that brother dies, she marries another, so she's married to seven of the brothers. And so they ask him, who will this woman be married to or whose wife will she be in the in the resurrection, at the resurrection. And Jesus' response is so stunning where he says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Basically, what he's saying to them is, you see this marriage thing that you guys love so much? This is the thing of this world. But in the world to come, this thing you guys value so much won't even exist. Marriage is meant for this earth only. In the afterlife, it won't even exist. Think about that. So when you're here just like, oh my gosh, my life, I'm not even married. And Jesus is here saying, he's just like, that's cool for here. <laughs> but he's just like, don't worry about this thing. That's why he's saying, if you're not the type of person who comes to him and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even your own life, you cannot be his disciple. Because if you're sold to those things, then you'll never understand the things he has in store for us in eternity. You'll be bogged down by the things of this world and never keeping your mind on the things that are above where Jesus Christ is. And so when you have eternity etched in your heart, you can now understand why he says to us that we must hate those things to be worthy of him. Because it all peels in comparison to what he has in store for us. Basically, what he's saying to us is this. If you are living in the grain of sand on the beach, if you're just there living on the grain of the sand on the beach, right? you're just focused on this grain of sand, and he's just like, nah, bruh, to be worthy of me, look at the beach. You can't be focused on this small thing when I have prepared for you this amazingly big thing. 
And this is what Hebrews 11:13 to 16 says. When it speaks of the champions of faith, it says of them, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Our faith is anchored on us firmly believing and understanding that this world is not the place nor the destination. Those who live with this understanding get to truly experience the freedom that Christ came to give to us. Those with this mindset are able to find new perspective to anything, whether it's joy, whether it's suffering, whether it's pleasure. It gives a whole new perspective to these things when you have eternity etched in your heart. It frees you from these things because you understand just like the champions of faith who literally, I remember every time I used to read the scripture, I'm like, how did they die without receiving God's promises? And that was because in my mind, all of God's promises and at least a majority of them were for this world. But they're saying, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews say, may I, these guys lived having not received all the promises that God had for them. Because of eternity. Because eternity was etched in their hearts. Paul says it in this way in 1 Corinthians 7, 29-32. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Basically, he's talking about the grain of sand. The time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they did not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. You know, we started this series talking about how this world is not our home. And the thing is that Jesus Christ wants us to live with his promise etched in our hearts. That where he is, we will be with him too. And the thing is, is that when we have this in mind, it does not matter what this world looks like, whether good or bad, how this whole story ends for those that put their faith in Christ Jesus is eternal victory. God wins. We win. The thing is, is that the reason why I feel like this is so important is because when we start to think of how, you know, it's like the things of this world, and let me give an, a specific example. You know, like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we studied some time, uh, some weeks ago. It's very inspiring. You know, the one where the, 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 the statue of gold is set up. And the thing is that they say to King Nebuchadnezzar that God is able to save us from the fire. But even if he does not, we will not worship your gods. And the thing that happens we've seen in this story is that God miraculously delivers them. And it's just like, yeah, God will deliver you. Amen. But they said, whether God delivers us or not, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to worship. 
this image of gold that you have set up. But the thing that is so interesting is that in as much as we look at that end of victory of they didn't die, when you come now to the book of Acts and you look at a life of a guy like Stephen, for whom, in his version of his story, he was stoned to death. Now the thing is, is that both of these stories are stories of people being persecuted for their faith. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were saved from fire by furnace. But Stephen wasn't saved from death. But the thing is this. The one thing that they have in common is that both would receive the ultimate gift that is given to all that put their faith in Christ, which is a blissful eternal life with him. And so, literally, whether he saves or he does not save, we have the most incredible, indescribable gift, that of eternity with God. God wins. We win regardless of what we see and what we understand. Whether God comes through or not on this earth, it does not matter. It will not matter. Because no matter what, the story ends with victory. Praise be to Jesus for this indescribable gift. And the thing is, is that I need you to etch these things and I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to give you revelation around this. Because what this does is that it helps us understand whether in joy, whether in peace, whether in turmoil, in whatever season, in whatever appointed time we are in, you are watching the story of your life. Like the way I watch those NBA games, you should know and you must know who wins. This story ends with victory. This story ends with victory. Whether it's saved by fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or stoned to death like Stephen. This story ends with victory. God wins. We win. This has been such a powerful revelation for me from the Heavenly Father as I studied this book because the understanding is this, friends that you can weather any storm because he says, when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. When you're going through joy, he'll be with you. When you're going through despair or mourning, he will be with you. But what you see and observe with your eye is not, is not defeat because it all ends in victory. We know who wins. God wins. We win. Amen? Amen. I want to end this series by first and we def definitely having to ask that for you who is listening and you do not know Jesus Christ, you are literally living your life like watching a live game, suspense, because a suspense to wondering how this thing ends. I want you to understand that you don't need to have suspense about that. When we have not put our faith in Christ Jesus, the way this thing ends is condemnation and separation from God forever. But the way in which we are told 
for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus, the way it ends is eternal victory. Where it says, and I love this, where we'll shine like the stars for all eternity, living in, blissful pre- in the blissful presence of God. I don't even know what that looks like, but he says, no mind has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. This world, if you think about it, is like a speck of dust at the beach. And it's time for you to look up and see the whole scope of eternity and forget about the little speck of dust. And so today I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to be able to do this, I want you to pray this prayer with me. This prayer is a prayer of confession where we confess that we are sinners and when we come and we accept Christ's forgiveness on the cross and his salvation to all eternity. Amen? So pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I confess that I am a sinner in need of your saving grace. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you now live to help me live for you. Come into my heart. Teach me your ways. Fill me with your spirit and lead me in the way everlasting. If you pray that prayer, go into the caption, send us our zap, and tell us about the decision that you've just made, and let us walk this journey together. Love you guys. God bless you. For it's in Jesus' name we have prayed and said, Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share it with someone whom you love. Share it with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then, make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button, subscribe, subscribe. God bless you guys.